We wonder if we could turn in our Bibles again to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. And we're going to read from verse 14 of the chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, and beginning our reading at verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that ye put off concerning the former con conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, wherefore putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt com communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit, of God whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts. We're looking at the last couple of verses there that we read. But with our Bibles open before us, can we just unite together at the throne of grace in prayer? Our loving God and our gracious Father, we turn to Thee in our Saviour's name. We thank Thee for the instruction that is given here. We thank Thee that Thy people are to be sanctified. There are things that we are to put away and things that we are to put on and things, Lord, that we are to do in our lives. And we pray, gracious God, that we might be brought into conformity with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior today. Bless thy word to our hearts. Speak to us through it, for it's in Jesus' 
precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. Now, uncontrolled temper is a huge problem that many, even of God's people, uh, will suffer from. There was an 18th century doctor or physician by the name of John Hunter. He was actually the doctor to George III, and he was suffering from angina, and he began to realize that his angina got worse every time that he was riled or every time that he was anger. And Hunter lamented, and he said, and it's a famous quote, my life is at the mercy of any scoundrel who chooses to put me in a passion. And those words proved to be prophetic because uh, later on uh, there was a meeting of the board of St. George's Hospital in London, and Hunter got into a heated argument in the midst of it, and he went out of the meeting and just dropped dead all of a sudden. And we think of the long-term effects of uncontrolled anger health, Uh, officials will tell us that anger will bring uh, anxiety, high blood pressure, it will bring headaches, uh, it will bring all sorts of uh, health issues into our lives. And we seem to be living in a day when anger is becoming more prevalent. You've heard of road rage, and there was a survey done in the United States that said that um, 8 out of 10 drivers felt that aggressive uh, uh, driving was serious or extremely uh, serious in bringing risk to their lives. And it's the same in our own land. A YouGov poll said that 64% of people feel that people are getting angrier today. In 2019, there was a 69-year-old man by the name of Michael Hanley from Greater Manchester who used his 4 by 4 Jeep Cherokee to knock a 17-year-old victim off their bicycle because he felt that the cyclist had cut in front of him. There, Only last week, there was a BBC report on how a man narrowly avoided a jail sentence because he got out of his van and knocked and punched a 56-year-old cyclist almost unconscious. Um, Another uh, repost this month said that a Mercedes driver um, got out of his Mercedes and smashed a motorcyclist helmet with a hammer. Road rage. And it seems as if people are becoming angrier. And unfortunately, God's people, Christians, are not exempt from the anger. Angry people often split churches. Angry people can cause all sorts of bother to relationships and to fellowship. Christian parents yell at their children, call them names, chastise them in anger, and it's not a bit wonder sometimes that the children rebel. The Apostle Paul gave good advice in Ephesians 4 verse 31 here. He said, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And you'll notice that he says all twice. Let all bitterness, all malice. He doesn't leave us a loophole there. Sometimes we can justify our anger and we say, well, you don't know what such and such did to me, or you don't understand the situation I was in. 
but we find that the Lord doesn't give a loophole here. You say, well, what about verse 26? It says, be ye angry and sin not. And it speaks there about righteous anger. And there is such a thing as righteous anger. We can be angry about sin and iniquity and so on, and we think of the wrath of God against sin. But the fact that this list here in verses 31 and 32 comes after the admonition to be angry and sin not indicates that a righteous anger is something that is very rare indeed. And so we're thinking about these things that cause problems to God's people. We thought about temptation. We thought about troublesome people. We thought about the tongue. Well, today, what we want to do is think about the temper. And we're going to see what the Lord says in these verses of Scripture. And I want you to see, first of all, that the Bible says that there is something to remove. There's something that we need to put away, something that we need to deal with. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And I want you to see that uh, Paul doesn't say go to the modern psychologist or go and get counseling somewhere. The counselor, the modern psychologist will begin to analyze where there was some problem in your childhood or some time when your parents didn't give you all that you wanted, and that's the reason for the anger, and they'll begin to analyze and get in behind things. That's not what the Apostle Paul says here. He just says, put it away. Don't sin anymore. And that's the old-fashioned method. That's the old way that the pastor would talk to you when the minister came. It wasn't how uh, uh, bad a, a childhood you had, but he says, just stop doing it. Stop sinning. And that's what the Bible says. This is what Paul says. Just stop sinning. And notice the scope of the removal here. He says, let all, we've emphasized the word all, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And he repeats the word all in the verse. It's twice there, and we need to get rid of all of it. Paul wants us to deal with all of this and rid ourselves of all of it. And we can rehearse again how badly we have been treated, and we can tell about how somebody said something to us or what it was that they said to us. And maybe you say, well, if you knew the person that was speaking to me and what they said to me, you would be angry too. And maybe I would be angry too. But that doesn't give an excuse. That's not what we are saying. He says, but let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. And you'll see that obviously the person that Paul is speaking to here or the situation that he has in his mind is somebody that uh, has a reason to be bitter or a reason to have malice against somebody else. You don't have bitterness against somebody if they haven't done anything on you. And you don't have malice or you're not angry with somebody if at least you perceive that they have done something on you. So this is a situation where somebody has done something on you, where there is a situation where perhaps you could say, I have a right to be angry. But he says, no, let all bitterness 
He says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. He says it'll defile you. So we need to make sure that we uh, heed what the word of God says. But not only does the command here reach uh, outward to all bitterness and wrath and malice, but he reaches inward because all of these things arise in the heart. And it's a matter of the heart here. And he's dealing with a matter of the heart. Sin originates in the heart. And you know we can have all the outward, but sin is in the heart. The Lord Jesus, when he was speaking about something of the same subject, said in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetous, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. So all these things, he says, all these evil things come from within that defile men. And that means it's not enough just to force a smile and get through. Well, at the same time, we're seething inside. What we need is for this to be dealt with in the heart. It's got to reach, and we say, Lord, help. Lord, help us. And we bring the thing to the Lord at the throne of grace in prayer. So we notice the scope. It's all of this. But then look at the source of the removal. We can't do it in ourselves. Now, it actually doesn't say, if you look at the verse, put away all bitterness and wrath and anger. And I, I've said that. Put, we need to put away all bitterness and wrath and anger. And we can put it like that. But that's not what the verse says. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. Do you see the difference between the command, put away all wrath and bitterness, and the command, let all bitterness and wrath be put away from you? That passive way of speaking is an indication that it's not we that do it. We need somebody else to do it. Now, the Lord is not saying here that we're completely passive because it's not, it's not let go and let go. And we have a part in it, and we have to be cooperative with the Lord in this thing. We have to bring ourselves to the Lord. We've got to pray. We've got to seek the face of God. But at the end of the day, the only one who can deal with your heart and deal with the anger and the bitterness and the malice and all these things is the Lord. It's not a matter of human willpower. And we can use human willpower, but it's not going to do the job completely. It's only God that can really deal with the heart and deal with the inner. And so what we need to do is bring all these things to the Lord, to the throne of grace in prayer. So we see the scope of what is to be removed. All malice, all bitterness, all of these things. And we notice the source. We need the Lord. But then look at the sort of what is to be removed. Many of the commentators will say that there's a progression here. Bitterness is something that's within. Anger and wrath then becomes outward, and then it goes to others. And then he speaks there of evil speaking, where 
not only is it outward, but then we begin to speak about other people. And then malice, the last one, really is a sort of a general term. So perhaps there's a little bit of progression there. But look at what we are to put away, or, or, or what is to be put away from us. First of all, you'll notice bitterness. Bitterness. Now, there are many people that hold on to bitterness for years. And because of some situation that the, or some person's done something, and they've let that fester and let that linger, and they're thinking about that and always considering that, and they begin to let that, and it becomes a festering sore within their hearts, and it'll cause anger at times, and the anger will burst out, but that bitterness is that sort of settled thought, that malice, malice against somebody that's within her heart. And a bitter person will not forgive, and a bitter person will not be reconciled. Hebrews 12, verse 15, again says, looking diligently, lest any man feel of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defined. Your bitterness will defile you, and it will defile others uh, who are close to you. But even worse, if you continue with bitterness, you'll come short of the grace of God, it says here. God is a God of abundant grace. He wants to bless you. He wants blessing in your life. But bitterness will hinder the blessing of God in your life. So it's something that we need to deal with. And if there's bitterness there, then it needs to be dealt with. Then we have wrath and anger, and those two words, of course, are related. Uh, they're a little bit different. Wrath is a word there that speaks of passion, fury. It means a rage. It, means, it comes from a word that means to come, come to the boil. And wrath is where you just boil over, where th there's an explosion of anger. That's the, the meaning of wrath here. We have the wrath of God as something different. But here, where it refers to human beings, it means really that you get out of control. Your anger boils over and you just hit out. And it's an outburst. And that's wrath. Anger describes a more settled state. It means sort of like a person that's in a bad mood who is likely to rage or hit out in anger. Uh, you could um, think of angry, uh, an angry person as somebody that would turn into a person that is full of rage. Uh, but anger is an attitude that lingers. Uh, rage just sort of happens. It sort of boils over. But the Lord says here that those are things that need to be dealt with. Those, those are things that we can't let linger in our lives. And then there is clamor. And clamor refers, uh, as you can hear by the word, to loud. Something's loud. Loud, loud angry words when people are screaming at one another. That, it maybe includes cursing, probably will. Someone that is using abusive names. The only time when you should yell at your husband or your wife or your children is to warn them of danger. Sometimes 
you have to yell to be heard over the noise. That's another time. But once things quieten down, then you should talk, not yell, not yell, clamor. And then the next term there, he says evil speaking or slander. And the Greek word there is a word that is used of blasphemy against God. But here in this context, it speaks of um, spreading false messages about people. Usually we do it to build a case against somebody else. Um, maybe they have done something. It includes falsehood, slander, evil speaking. And then lastly is the term malice, which is a general term for wickedness or ill will towards another person. It's a desire to harm the person, maybe emotionally or physically. When coupled with slander, it's an intent to harm a person's reputation or relationship with other people. Paul says these are all sinful attitudes. And these are things that need to be removed from the child of God. They are to be removed as we bring them to the Lord. A.W. Tozer, speaking about this, said that what happens when a person is angry is really what they are. He spoke about it like the mud at the bottom of the vessel, that when it gets stirred up, the mud begins to rise to the surface. And he says, that's really what the person is. And sometimes when we get angry, we really show what we are. And the Lord says, no, he says, let all of these things be dealt with. So there's something to remove. But then there is something to replace because the Lord and Paul here never leaves us without a solution. And you look at verse 32. Here's what we, if we remove these things, what do we replace it by? Well, it says, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So there are a number of things that we are to replace. We are to replace bitterness and anger with kindness. The Greek word translated um, where he says there, um, be ye kind, the word be can be translated become, become kind. And it is an uh, to give you the technical, it is a present imperative, and that means it's a command to keep on doing something. And it's a process. He is growing kinder, growing gentler, growing more gracious. The Bible says that charity or love is kind, and it's a part of the fruit of the Spirit. And a kind person will act in the best interests of the other. Will always consider the needs of somebody else. Will always take, never be selfish. Always look into the needs of somebody else. The kind person will lower their voice when they know somebody is sleeping. They will clean up the mess that the other person has made. They will give the benefit of the doubt. Never think the worst of the person. Rather than jumping to the worst case scenario, uh, there will be the thought there's the possibility of mitigating circumstances. He will allow other people to make mistakes. He will spotlight the strength of the person, not the weaknesses. We all appreciate when somebody highlights our strengths rather than our weaknesses. 
They will refuse hurtful gossip. They will let somebody else take the spotlight rather than themselves. One of the indicators of the depraved society in which we live is the fact that so many people love themselves. I was just looking at a program yesterday, one of the news programs, and it was speaking about the the epidemic of narcissism that seems to be in our society today. No, the Bible says of the child of God that we are to be kind. He takes an interest in other people. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So we, we replace bitterness and anger with kindness. And then we uh, replace bitterness and anger with tender-heartedness. If you look at this, if you look in First Peter chapter three, verses eight and nine. That word tender-hearted is used, but it's given another translation. He says in 1 Peter 3, verse 8 and 9, Finally be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love us, brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. And then he goes on. But it is that word, having compassion, is the same word that is translated tender-hearted here. It's a Greek word that... um, It's a word for the bowels, actually, the seat of the emotions. To be tender-hearted means to have a deep gut feeling for the other person. It means empathy. It means sympathy. It uh, means that we're not callous. We're not hard-hearted. We we don't let the uh, feelings of other people run off us. We put ourselves in the shoes of the other person. Uh, we will ex- sense anxiety. We will ex- sense the weariness of somebody else when somebody else is in trouble. And we will want to help them in the midst of their need. Tender heartedness. And we're not an angry people. We are to be sometimes God's people. Um, the world will look at God's people and they take us to be angry because, for example, when sin happens and when the society turns away from God's law, well, sometimes that makes us angry. And maybe that's a righteous anger. But, you know, we ought not to be looked upon as an angry people, but a gracious and a tender-hearted people. But not only are we to replace the bitterness and anger with kindness and tender-heartedness, but look at the third thing, forgiveness. Forgiving one another. Now, maybe this is the hardest thing. The hardest thing. The root word for forgiving one another, the root word for forgiving there is grace. It means show grace to one another. The antidote to anger and resentment and bitterness and aggressiveness is forgiveness. Instead of holding the grudge and developing the grudge and letting it become bitterness in our hearts, What we do is wrong the person that has wronged us. And they have wronged us. Maybe they have wronged us. And to um, forgive them is perhaps the hardest thing that we can do. But there may be injustice against us. And people may have said things about us. And they might have spread rumors about us. But God says, forgiving one another. 
It doesn't cost us anything to grant that forgiveness. Uh, you, you know, we can prove what person has done to death, but at the end of the day, what we need to do is let go. Let it go. Let the anger go. Let the bitterness go. Let the wrath go. And we forgive one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Because not only is there something to remove and something to replace, but there's something to remember. And we remember that God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. You know, when we're thinking about forgiveness, and maybe we have thought about situations in which it was hard to forgive, and maybe even it went through your mind about the people and what they've done on you and all the rest of the things and the many things, people down the years, your relatives, your friends, your in-laws, or whatever it is, they've done things. And my, you've held that for many years. But you know, the Lord Jesus Christ forgave us. We did things against Christ right from our childhood. We sinned against God in so many ways. And we got into so many scrapes and puzzles. And we think of how the Bible says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And it says when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Those that sinned against him, those that rebelled against him, and he's forgiven us. And he says that we are to forgive others even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Have we done that? Have we forgiven others? But notice how we forgive. The Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And he forgives us graciously. We don't deserve it. How did God uh, forgive us? He didn't forgive us when we were good because we weren't good. He, gave, he forgave us when we were enemies against him. And we are to forgive graciously as God has forgiven us graciously. Not only are we to forgive and not only does the Lord forgive graciously, but he forgives freely. We don't have to pay for it. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to do something to gain it. The gift of God is eternal life. And we forgive freely. We think of how the Lord forgives deeply. He forgives not just the matter of sin that we have committed, but he, as it were, cleanses the heart. You think of David. And David went into adultery, and then he uh, got involved in murder. And you think of the depth of sin to which David went, and yet God took that man in the depths of his sin and forgave him freely, graciously, deeply. And then God forgives repeatedly. How many times have we gone to the Lord, maybe even after doing the same sin, and have asked for forgiveness. And the Lord says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And the word faithful there means that he'll do it every time. One time Peter asked the Lord how many times he was to forgive. And the Lord said, 70 times seven. 
Now, that just means a perfect number beyond a perfect number. Seven in the Bible is the number of perfection. When you get 10 times 70 and then multiplied by seven, it just means that you keep on forgiving. It never comes to an end. Sometimes, as we say, we come with the same sins to God, and we keep on doing it, and you'd think the Lord would get fed up, but he keeps on forgiving. And we are to do the same. We are to come to the Lord repeatedly, or we are to forgive, rather, repeatedly. The forgiving grace of God is no limit, and thank God for that. There's no end to the grace of God. He forgives and forgives and forgives again. But the Bible says, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. We need to confess our anger immediately to God. I saw uh, a little thing that gave the acrostic alarm. And the acrostic said, first of all, agree with God about your anger. Let it be seen for what it is. It's sin. Agree with God. Then the L is, lower your voice immediately. Try arguing. The Bible says, a soft answer turneth away wrath. So let your voice be soft. Lower your voice. The next day is, accept responsibility for your own action. Never say, he made me mad, or the circumstance made me mad. No, we own up to what it is. It's ourselves that has made us mad. And then the R is rest your spirit, as it were. People say, count to ten before you become angry. Well, the better thing is, bring it to the Lord in prayer. Rather than counting to ten, just shoot a prayer to heaven, Lord, Stop me from getting anger, angry. And then the aim is manage your anger. Control your temper. You say, I can't control it. Well, yes, you can. Because maybe you've been in a situation, you've seen a situation in which you've been in the middle of a row and the phone rings. And then you lift the phone and you say, hello, in a sweet voice. Yes, you can control your anger. You can stop it. And then the S, seek for God's forgiveness and help for controlling your anger. Alarm. Agree with God, lower your voice, accept responsibility, rest your spirit, manage your anger, seek God's forgiveness and help. And by that means, we're able to control our anger. The Bible says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And then he says, be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. May God write his word upon our hearts for his name's sake. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we thank thee for the precious word of God today. We thank thee that thou art the God who is able to deal with our anger and with the temper, and we thank Thee that Thou art able to give us a heart in which we are uh, kind and tender-hearted and forgiving of one another. And we thank Thee for our Savior, who went to the cross of Calvary and has been so forgiving to us, 
Help us to be like him and follow him every step of the way. Bless thy word, write it upon our hearts. For it's in Jesus' precious name I would ask these things. Amen. Let's sing a couple of verses of the hymn 419. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. We sing the first and the third verses of the uh, hymn and we'll stand to sing verses 1 and 3. Father in heaven, we pray that thou wouldst teach us by thy word. We thank thee for the precious word of God that instructs us day by day. Now we pray that thou wouldst part us in thy fear and with thy blessing. Be with us throughout the rest of the day. Bless the meeting tonight and bless thy servant as he comes along to bring thy word. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. <laughs>